0: So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost.
1: Uh, I guess uh, we would know that there are a great number of books that you can summarise with a single sentence. Perhaps you know the book just by hearing that that one sentence. So if I were to to, to read this uh, opening sentence of a, a well-known uh, novel, in a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. Yeah, so that's Tolkien's the Hobbit. Now, uh, what about this one? I wouldn't have known this, but... Um Someone told me today, it is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Pride and prejudice. I haven't read it. Guess I must. But I wonder, if you were to think of, of Luke's gospel, this amazing eyewitness account of Jesus' life, written Uh, on the basis of eyewitness testimony that Luke brings together, having heard and listened to other people and gathered it all for us. What would be the one sentence you would think of for the Gospel of Luke? Well, is it not, verse 10 in our reading, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's probably the best known verse in the whole of Luke's Gospel, and it summarizes perhaps in a way those two quotes from other novels don't, it summarizes the whole message of Luke's Gospel. In fact, you might say it is one of the many statements in the Gospels that summarize Jesus' ministry as a whole. Because the Lord Jesus Christ came to seek and to save lost people. And Friends, that is such a hopeful statement. It is a wonderfully hopeful statement because First of all, it addresses what can be a wrong view of Christianity, a view that says that Christianity is for people whose lives are comfortable and sorted and respectable. But of course, we know that's not true. It's not true if you knew my life, it's not true if you knew the lives of other Christians deeply. And crucially, it's not true if you look at the Lord Jesus Christ, because again and again, what you find of Jesus is that he seeks out and he saves people who are lost, people who are coming from all kinds of backgrounds. And Luke, just in the chapter before that we've read in chapter 19 you heard the Bible open, just look there at the middle of chapter 18 and you will see that Jesus there engages with a rich ruler, a man who's described as a certain ruler, a A person who trusts in riches and he speaks to him and seeks to point him towards the way of salvation, the way that he engages with him. And that man sadly walks away not having trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then as you go on a bit further in the same chapter, the very end of chapter 18, just before our reading, you have that amazing story of this blind beggar who, who, humanly speaking, has nothing in this world but one thing, his voice what does he do with that one thing that he has in all the world? He cries out to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does he say? He says, have mercy on me. And Christ shows him great mercy. And what an amazing contrast that that blind beggar, having come to faith in Jesus Christ, becomes wealthier than that rich ruler, no matter how much money he had. Because he had the Savior. And then we come... At the start of 19, to, to Zacchaeus, or Zacchaeus, or Zac, however you want to express his name, a tax collector who will come to see is a social outcast and, in people's minds, a great sinner. But in each of those interactions, we see something of Jesus' character laid forth as he engages with these people. And what we're going to see here is we look at his engagement with Zacchaeus, a particular thing that that I think comes out to us is the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. The love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are three things I wanted to see about Jesus and his love this evening. And the first is this, that Jesus Christ, Christ has a seeking love. Our first point, Christ's seeking love. Verses 1 to 5, our first point, Christ's seeking love. And here we see that the Lord Jesus Christ seeks out, he deliberately pursues Zacchaeus. Now, we read in verse 1 that Jesus was traveling or entering Jericho and passing through. Now, that does not mean what we might think it means. Because if I say, calling at someone's house, we don't do that so much now, but maybe you're on your way to somewhere and you just pop in and ring someone's doorbell and you say, I was just passing through. What we mean is, I was going somewhere else and I just happened to be driving past and thought it would be nice to say hello or walking past or or whatever else. That's not what's being communicated here. What's being communicated here is that Jesus was going into Jericho and he was ministering and and speaking to and, and engaging with all kinds of people. And Jericho's somewhere, he's going deliberately. And he's going there because he's looking for someone. He's looking for, well, The main character here, Zacchaeus, whom we read in verse 2 was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. That tells a lot about Zacchaeus. Because he's a tax collector, that means his job was to get money for the Romans from people in the local area. And the way tax collectors have made their money was that rather than having a salary from the Romans, what they did was they leased areas of responsibility and they guaranteed a, a certain income in their lease and then they could to the Romans and then they themselves could cream off anything more they could get out of people. That's how tax collectors made their living. But Zacchaeus isn't just a tax collector. He notice how he's described a chief tax collector. It's the only time in scripture that description is used of someone. And we're not exactly sure what it meant, but it, it means that he is... A very, very important tax collector. We know that. Perhaps he had a regional responsibility, not just a local responsibility. And it's certainly the case that Jericho was a very significant trading city in the area. And that means all kinds of goods are traveling through, and that means the potential for him to make cash is even better. And that's why he is described there also as wealthy, because he's making money by inflating the taxes he's charging to people. Now, tax collectors back then, notice that phrase carefully, were thought of as extortionists and collaborators with the enemy. Because the Romans were the enemy, and they were extorting money from people. Jewish tradition permitted lying to tax collectors. It was seen that you weren't breaking the law of God if you lied to a tax collector, provided you were doing so to protect your private property. They were trying to get off more than you, and they should. That shows us how they were seen. Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. You notice that in the text, verse three. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but he's short, and so he can't see over the crowd. And so, what he needs to do is, knowing Jesus is going to come through, he can see perhaps the noise and the hubbub of of Jesus coming. And so he has to climb up a tree, and we read that he climbs up what's described as a sycamore fig tree. Now, when you read that, don't think sycamore tree that we would see in our country. This is what is known as a a fig mulberry, which, if that doesn't mean anything to you, which it didn't to me, um, apparently it means it had a very wide trunk, and it had uh, wide with branches that were low down, well-spaced, and easy to climb. So it's kind of a bit like a a ladder. You know you look at some trees and think, that's just like a ladder. I'm going to climb that. Make sure you check with your parents first before you do, boys and girls. But it was that kind of tree, and Zacchaeus climbed up this tree. It may even be the case that these kinds of trees, the way that if it was was a time when the the leaves are out, the way the leaves were in these trees is it was easy to hide in them because they were very full of the leaves, maybe. So Zacchaeus is there at the tree. Jesus is walking past. The crowd are greeting him. But What does Jesus Christ do? He looks up into the tree where Zacchaeus is there looking at Jesus. And he says, verse 5, let's read Jesus' words. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay in your house today. Now to understand just how significant that was, look down at verse 7 because all the people saw this, they see the call and Zacchaeus response, and they begin to mutter. He has gone to be a guest of a sinner. So he is known publicly as a sinner because his lifestyle and his living were all bound up with sin. That was Zacchaeus in a nutshell. He is not respected or liked, he is hated because he is willing to do the job that he would do. To extort money from the people of God for a godless people. And you might say with Zacchaeus, his whole life was a public statement of rejection of the Lord God and all that God had said about how we should live in the world. story told of a bodybuilder who wanted uh, to prove his strength, and so he held a competition. And in the competition, he said, I am going to take a lemon, and I am going to squeeze this lemon so there is no juice left in it whatsoever. And then anyone who can come and squeeze an extra drop out of this lemon, I will give the sum of 500 pounds. So he ran his competition. Many people came. They tried. They failed. Couldn't get any juice out until one man came along, thin, slight, didn't look so strong. And he squeezed four drops of juice out of the lemon. Bodybuilder's counting over his 500 pounds that he didn't really want to pay out to anyone, but he had to. And he says, what do you do for a job? Maybe you just do something that makes your hands really strong, and that's what you do with your job. Or maybe you lift weights, and you're just really, really efficient muscles. He says, no, I'm a tax collector. That man was good at squeezing every last drop out of anyone and anything. But now I have friends who have worked for HM Revenue and Customs. And I know that tax collectors are not like that in our country. State that publicly. So what is the equivalent today? What's the equivalent today? Well, we might say maybe it's one of our own people who are who are helping the enemy, skimming money off you. So maybe it's a is it a family member who loans sharks to you? Is it perhaps a family member who deals drugs to you? It's hard actually to find an equivalent for Zacchaeus in our culture. Maybe it's better to think of the principle that's going on here, which is Zacchaeus is the person who is furthest you can be from the kingdom of God in terms of his lifestyle. And yet, what does Jesus do? Jesus Christ seeks him out. This is the love of the Lord Jesus. The love that seeks him out. And not only that, what does he say? He says, I must stay in your house today. He's going to go and have table fellowship with him. He's going to eat with him. As he prayed, he is welcoming of any and all. And maybe you're here and you are like Zacchaeus. Well, this story is telling you that there is no sin that bars you from coming to Jesus Christ. That's the big thing we need to see, first of all. There is no sin that bars you from the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe you are looking from afar, a bit like Zacchaeus was there at that tree. And maybe you're looking on and you're thinking, is Jesus Christ interested in people like me? What I've done. What's the story telling you? true story. Christ Jesus is interested in people like you and like me because he's interested in all kinds of people. And it's interesting here also that you might say in the story here that Zacchaeus does not seem to have a reason for seeking Jesus. It just says he sought him out and wanted to see him. Sorry, what did it say? Forgive me. Um, do Uh, Verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but it does not say why he was seeking him. It just said he wanted to see who he was. He's he's intrigued by the Lord Jesus. There's something about Jesus' reputation or the things that Jesus teaches or the kind of things Jesus does that is just drawing Zacchaeus to the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe that's you this evening as well. Maybe you're here and, and you're finding out more about Christianity and you're thinking there's something about Jesus that is appealing. You're not sure what it is? Entirely, but you're here and you want to know more. What's the story? What's the lesson? It's telling you to keep on seeking the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, we live in a brutal world. We live in a brutal world with a cancel culture that means one sentence can end your career. That's a reality, isn't it? One sentence. And people live in great fear of the crowd of saying something wrong or perhaps just not quite being on message in what they do say. But Jesus Christ's actions here show you and I that Christ does not engage in cancel culture. He does not write off any who do great wrong if they will come to him. Friends, nothing you have done, nothing you have thought. And nothing you have said bars you from coming. There is but one qualification. That you confess you are lost and you need to be found. How can that be, you might say? In a world that says, (laughs) you've got to be this, you've got to be this, you've got to be this. In a world that says, you can come if, I will love you if, all that conditionality. Well, that's where we get right to the heart of the Christian message, don't we? Because we get right to the heart of the cross in that. Because the Lord Jesus Christ came through his death to cover all the sins of those who will come to him. And that means nothing bars you from coming if you come and you trust him. Because if you trust in Jesus Christ, that sin can be forgiven. Um. Some of you will know that when we moved uh, to Warwick, and the wider area of Warwick and Leamington, uh, we took on the ambitious project of a house um, that I think, um, well, uh, uh, someone described to me and said, it's it's barely livable, but it is livable. Um, and uh, we're so grateful for all those who made it more livable before we came, and all those who helped in different ways to make it more livable too. And, and we, we, took up, we took up on a, a project, and it was, it was a significant project, and I'm not sure he'd want to do so again, but we took it on, and um, it did give us the opportunity to think really carefully about different things around the house, and you know, you can decorate the walls in whatever colour you like, can't you? You can choose the colour. Um, and then when it's done, the thing that happens that is so very hard is it doesn't stay like that. You know, So in our kitchen, we've got our grey feature wall. But for some reason, people put their hands on our wall. and Their hands are all greasy. And grease on wall, what does it do? It makes a mark, and there's not a lot you can do to get those marks off, I have tried. You put the paint on again, it comes through again. You put the extra special, you know, the super block, um, celiac-based stuff, it still comes through. What, my latest trick is that you can fill it in with filler, sand it down, then put the block on, and then repaint it. And that sort of works, except if you look carefully at my wall in my kitchen, it's not flat. So that's my secret, and it only works so long. So if you come to our house, please don't touch (laughs) this. There's no sin, is there? That Jesus Christ's blood cannot cover. There are some things in this life that you cannot cover over. There are some marks on walls that you cannot fix. There is no sin. The blood of Jesus Christ cannot cover. That's the message here. Christ's love for sinners. So it means come, come to him. Come to him this evening. Trust him as Lord and Savior. Nothing bars you. That's the first thing. And we need to move on and see the second thing, which is Christ transforming love. We've seen Christ seeking love. Secondly, Christ transforming love in verses 6 to 8. And here, we're going to see that coming to Christ means that you cannot stay as you are. Any can come. That's the call. But you cannot stay as you are. Mark chapter one verse fifteen. Jesus' first words recorded in Mark's gospel are, "The kingdom of God is at hand. Is near. Uh, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel." And the big thing for us to see here is that trusting Christ means faith and repentance. Trusting Christ means we come with faith and repentance, and we see. This element of Christ transforming love in Zacchaeus in the way in which he both responds to Christ's invitation and then he changes because repentance is then seen in his life. And so, if we look at verse six, that Jesus says, "Come, I'm going to come to your house today." Christ, you know what lovely way of expressing the response of Zacchaeus there in verse six. So he came down at once and welcomed Zacchaeus. Welcomed him. That's Jesus, gladly. What a lovely picture of saving faith to come at once and welcome Christ gladly. And then, you know, he goes, Jesus goes back to his house. The people look on and they gossip, but Jesus Christ is not concerned with what anyone is saying about what he's done. Because Christ is at work in his transforming love in Zacchaeus's heart, which we see in verse 8. Because Zacchaeus stands up and he says, Lord, if I have cheated, um, I'm going to give away, sorry, half of my possessions now to the poor. This man of great wealth gives away half of his wealth. Think of that. I don't know what your bank balance is. Half your bank balance, but not just that. Half of your house value. Not just that. Half of your pension. Huge, isn't it? Half of the car. And not just that, he says, for those I have defrauded, I am going to pay back four times what I've defrauded. Now, Jewish law required that you would repay 20% in addition if you defrauded someone. If I stole from you, I had to repay what i have stolen, plus 20% more, a fifth more. Here, he says four times, four times what I've defrauded you. And that shows us that Zacchaeus has really repented, doesn't it? Because he turns from his lifestyle before And then, this change of heart is demonstrated in the fact he is willing to go beyond what's required to make restitution. And Jesus shows us all this. And he shows us this change in Zacchaeus because he wants us to see what it means to come to him, what it looks like to really repent. He wants to show us that his love means that he will not leave us in our sin. And Christ Jesus, when someone comes to faith in him, and he works in their hearts to give them the gift of faith, and then that work in their heart brings about a change on the inside by his spirit to give them a new heart that leads to new desires. That's repentance. Such that for every believer, Jesus Christ is Lord. Now this comes out in the passage. because If you look at verse 8, it says... Luke repeats it. Luke says, he said to the Lord, Lord. It's repeated. The Lordship of Jesus Christ is particularly emphasized. And that is so significant because because Jesus Christ is Lord, it means that everything is submitted to him. That means that in our lives, day by day, we turn from what is sinful. It means we leave what is unhelpful. And it means... We consecrate, we bring it before, we bring everything else before him. Turning from what is sinful, leaving what is unhelpful, and consecrating everything to him. That's lordship. So we hold nothing back. And submission to Jesus as Lord is linked to repentance. Now, repentance is a change of mind. It is a desire to be different it is bringing all of our lives before Christ and laying it all before him. And faith and repentance are linked. Saving faith is not without repentance. In faith, we forsake all. And then we trust Christ alone. So repentance is this change of mind and of will that is then reflected and seen in actions and desires. And and for some, that change of life can happen instantly. You know, I've known people who have come to faith who have been drunkards. And immediately, God has granted them freedom from the drunkenness. It's a wonderful thing. Or or the change in their language. For me, that was something that changed very quickly when I was converted. Or, Or maybe even other desires for others that change, and in other areas of our lives as believers, that change can happen over time. But in conversion, this is a key thing in conversion, our mind and our attitude changes towards sin. That's the nature of repentance. And then, friends, having come, in faith and repentance to Jesus Christ, we, we begin a life of repentance, because it's not just a one event, is it? We do that daily. We have that ongoing battle each day to turn from sin. What did we say? We said we were going to turn from what is sinful, we're going to leave what's unhelpful, and we're going to consecrate everything to him. And we do that daily. And we ground all of that in Christ's love as well, don't we? Which is why it's so wonderful, because, because each day we're forgiven and we're cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. Now, we sing the line, don't we, in in a song, come just as you are to worship. And that is true. It's absolutely true. That's what we've seen in Christ seeking love. But we must also come with repentance, turning our back on how we were. So, friends, what do we need to turn from today? Tonight? For the first time, or perhaps even again and afresh in that ongoing sense. Maybe it's something specific. Do we need to repent and turn from our attitude to sex? Or sexuality? Or drunkenness? Or drugs? Or pride? Or an obsession with something that's just too big? Maybe more generally, we need to to repent and turn from a pursuit of pleasure, a pursuit of our own reputation becoming greater, of perhaps acceptance before others. Friends, nothing should be held back from the Lord Jesus Christ because when we do that, what we are saying is that thing comes above him. And if he is Lord, he's above it all, isn't he? Jesus says, repent and believe the gospel. That call is there the first time we come to faith. That call is there every day for the believer. And we live in a world of minimal repentance, don't we? We live in a world where, well, what do people say? We say, well, if I have upset anyone, it's not repentance. Or public figures say, I made an error of judgment. They're non-apologies. Zacchaeus' life shows evidence of a different kind of repentance, a change of heart that leads to a change of life that is seen in going above and beyond. Now, I was speaking to a friend this week who shared a story with me that had permission to share, which is that he was doing a Bible study at his home on an evening uh, for young people. And as the cars were pulling up, some of them were driving, some of the cars are pulling up and one of the, I think it was a young man who was coming to study, uh, he saw uh, his car pulling up, and behind it he saw blue flashing lights. And the police pulled this young man over because he'd been speeding on the way to the Bible study. Came inside, dealt with the police, and you know, took the ticket, had the Bible study. At the end of the study he said, I just want to apologize to everyone about what just happened. I Shouldn't have done it, it was wrong. Afterwards, he emailed my friend in the week and said, I want to apologize to you for your witness to your neighbors. Friends, that is something of the deep repentance that flows from true saving faith. Christ's love is transforming love. And then thirdly and finally, Christ's love is identity giving love. Our third point. Christ has a seeking love. He has a transforming love. He has an identity-giving love. Here we're looking at verse 9, just at verse 9, where you'll see that Christ gives Zacchaeus, and indeed every believer, a new identity as a Christian, as a child of God, here in our passage, as a son of Abraham, not as a sinner. This is really key. Because once Zacchaeus believes and salvation, the way Luke expresses it wonderfully, is salvation has come to his, this house because he's trusted in the gospel. Salvation has come. And having believed, um, how does then the Lord Jesus Christ describe Zacchaeus? Look at verse nine. Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Now that is... Bible, well, if I can use shorthand, although it's not shorthand, it's, Bible, it's a way of the Bible expressing someone who's a Christian. We can not have time to look at it. But if, you, if you want to look at Galatians 3, verse 29, you will see there that the scriptures link being a son or a child of, of Abraham to being a believer. Okay, So this is Jesus Christ saying, this man Zacchaeus is a Christian, he's a believer. And so Jesus is... In his love, giving Zacchaeus a new identity which is good and pure. Now, that does not mean that there never will be a struggle with sin and temptation in Zacchaeus's life. There will be. But it means that he is no longer defined by his sin or his unholy desires. To put it another way, Christ did not ask Zacchaeus to give up who he truly was because he was made in God's image as a human being, and he is now a Christian. He is now a son of Abraham. By receiving the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is whom he truly was and truly is. But he does ask him to give up how he was in his life and his heart of sin. This is very, very important, friends, because When we think of who we are as Christians, we need to remember that we are first and foremost, and centrally our identity is, in Jesus Christ as God's forgiven people. If you look at the New Testament letters and the way that Paul addresses the Christians in different places, you will find a repeated pattern in in Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians where where Paul addresses them as God's holy people. He calls them saints does it again and again and he wants to drive this point home that if you are a Christian you have a new identity you are a saint it's a great thing isn't it (laughs) you are not a saint because of some extraordinary miracle that you performed in your life that people have looked at in the future and and said oh they're a saint every believer is a saint every believer is one of God's holy people by grace and sin does not always leave our lives immediately we've spoken of that already there may still be struggles with things like anger, with things like gossip, with things like bitterness. But those sin struggles do not define us. The fact we're a Christian does. If we define ourselves by any sin struggle that we have in our lives, that suggests that that sin struggle can never change. It says that is who we are And we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that, because if you think that way, friends, and if we speak to one another that way, what we are saying is, we're a bit like, it's a bit like a general saying, "Go to battle here in this battle, and, and go and fight, um, but we're going to lose. And the battle's over and we're going to lose. But please go over the top, take on the enemy and go into battle, even though we're going to lose? Would you? Would you charge? I don't think I want to do that. I don't think any of us would. And friends, we are not defeated by our sin. Praise God. Jesus Christ has conquered. He is king. And so we can fight our sin, knowing that he is Lord over it, Knowing that one day the victory will come and knowing that that we are not defined by it because we are in Christ. Now in our day, because our culture is so obsessed with the ideas of gender and sexuality, one of the clearest ways that we see this is in how some Christians speak about sexual temptation. So people sometimes use the term same-sex attracted Christian. Now, There are Christians who have real, ongoing, significant struggles with same-sex desire. We all have struggles, and some of those struggles come from a fallen nature. But none of them describe us, sorry, none of them define us. And we should not, therefore, describe ourselves in that way. I want to encourage you today to remember that if you are a Christian you are a son of Abraham you are a saint you are one of God's holy people as we looked at the book of first Corinthians in chapter 6 what did we read those glorious verses there in chapter 6 verses 9 to 11 I'm sorry they're not on the screen but you have a Bible turn to them 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Friends, that is who you are as a Christian. So friends, having seen all that we've seen, can I close with an appeal? And my appeal is this. Let us follow Jesus' example in our evangelism. The challenge of our day is to speak about repentance as a necessary fruit of saving faith. If you think about church history, go back to the time of the Reformation, what was the big challenge in the Reformation? It was to speak of faith alone, because the prevailing culture was the Roman Catholic Church in terms of how you thought. And the Roman Catholic Church said faith plus works. And scripture says faith alone. Church stood on that wonderfully. Praise God for all that was done. And we're thankful today that we stand on the shoulders of those who contended for those things. In our own day, the challenge is to speak of faith alone that bears the fruit of repentance. And there are all kinds of reasons I can't get into why that is so relevant in our day. If you want to talk afterwards, we just haven't got time. I'm happy to say more another time. But in our day, because people see their choices as fundamental to whom they are in their personhood. When we say repent and believe the gospel, that's going to be hard for people to hear. But that's where the challenge is. And the challenge is there because we don't want to hear about repentance because it means things for us day by day. Please do not think it means every one of us is called to repent. Each day. And our world does not want to hear about repentance because it means things for the world too. The world says, tell me Jesus loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life and stop there. And we want to say, when the scripture says, the love of God is great, we say amen. But we must, friends, also keep on sharing about repentance. And we need to do it and be especially mindful that we do it because our sinful hearts long for acceptance and approval. And so we are tempted to remove the hard things to gain that. But our goal is not acceptance. Our goal is the glory of God. Our goal is that God will be glorified in conversion, which happens as we faithfully share the gospel. And so, friends, as we close the question to each one of us is this. Will I love people enough to speak of true repentance and a new identity that is part of the hope of the gospel? To share a saviour whose love seeks out sinners. To share a saviour whose love transforms sinners. And to share a saviour whose love gives them a new holy identity. To all who believe, with God's grace, may we hold forth that message of life. Amen.